Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives, Reach Ireland's crime podcast. I'm Paul Healy, I'm crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror, and I'm joined by Michael O'Toole, our crime and defence editor. Hello, Michael. Paul, hello. Hello. Well, today we are discussing Graeme Dwyer, and some people might roll their eyes and say, Graeme Dwyer again. Well, so are we in a way, but he is the story that keeps on giving because he continues to plague the Irish courts uh, using every means available to him to attempt to get freedom. The desperate actions of someone who has nothing better to do in a way, but also maybe the arrogance of somebody who genuinely believes that the courts will in some way overturn his conviction for the murder of Elaine O'Hara. So for those people who just aren't overly familiar, although I would imagine most people tuning into this podcast are, um, obviously Graeme Dwyer is serving a life sentence for the murder of Elaine O'Hara, um, 2015. Um, he was convicted for that in the courts. It was a lengthy trial that graced the front pages of all of the newspapers for months on end. Probably one of the biggest, uh, was probably the biggest murder trial in the country in the last decade anyway, maybe save for one that we uh, discussed last year, the Jerry Hutch trial for different reasons, though, very different trials. But, um, Dwyer uh, went to the Court of Appeal and he tried to have his conviction overturned and there was a high-profile um, Supreme Court battle and ultimately European Court decision uh, that Dwyer's data effectively had been breached under European law. And so now he is before the Supreme Court and his case was opened uh, as of yesterday. So when we're recording this podcast, yesterday was the day where Graeme Dwyer went to the Supreme Court after the Court of Appeal threw out uh, his attempt to have his conviction overturned. There's no definitive date. Sometimes the courts will say we're going to give our verdict on the or our judgment on the 27th of December or whatever. That's not in this case, so everybody involved will just get the notification of it. But you mentioned two words which are really important in this podcast, Paul, and, and I'm glad you did. You mentioned Lane O'Hara because I was I was watching the news about Dwyer and, and, and I'd been thinking of it myself and it just struck me that as ever, victims are often forgotten about. By the very nature, this is about Graham Dwyer appealing it. This was a, a, about a really in my opinion, a really brutal murder of a vulnerable woman who was groomed for murder for a year. Really, really terribly so, and really, in my opinion, really, really badly treated. And we, I sometimes, people do lose sight, because this is now a legal battle between Graham Dwyer, the man who, in my opinion, rightfully so, was convicted of the murder of Elaine, and the state. But it's about justice for Elaine Dwyer, and I noticed at the uh, or Elaine O'Hara, and I noticed at the hearing yesterday, Elaine's uh, father was there, and another family members were there. So sometimes, because of the very nature of our job at and whatever, and the tete a tete thing, people do lose sight that this is about justice for a woman who was really bad, brutally murdered. Yeah, and uh, you know, I have to say, I really feel for Elaine's family, um, her father in particular, who, as you've mentioned was at the hearing at the Supreme Court yesterday. Um, for Frank O'Hara, this is probably a never-ending nightmare. And for for many families mm. who've lost their loved ones to murder, unfortunately, they have to come up against a legal system that continues to, in a sense, punish them because they have to go through the throes of this person who has been convicted in a court of law, 
appealing in every court in the land their conviction. He's done the Court of Appeal. He lost. He went to the Supreme Court in relation to uh, this data retention issue. It was pushed all mm. the way to the European courts. The European courts found in his favour, which immediately rang alarm bells, I'm sure, for the family. Um, now it's starting to look like especially with the Court of Appeal, throwing out uh, Dwyer's appeal, um, that that hasn't helped him at all. Look, this is the last hurrah, really, isn't it? In Irish courts anyway, certainly, that we know of. And we'll come back to this later in the pod. Um, certainly in Ireland anyway, this is Graeme Dwyer's last uh, real legal uh, attempt to have his conviction overturned on the basis of this data issue. Now, I think it's a little bit confusing. Even for me, it's a bit confusing um, I don't think we need to get into the ins and outs of data retention and the law here, mm. but effectively, uh, the the European Court did find in Dwyer's favour that his data should not have been retained by Angard Siakana. And a key part of the case, or at least from Dwyer's perspective, he argues that a key part of the case against him uh, surrounded the use of uh, mobile phones which were linked to him. And in particular, it, it, this part of the case that's linked to his uh his mobile phone is work phone and he is saying that Gardy should not have retained that data under European law. Yes, the guards didn't retain the data. This is the key point. Okay, and it is very complex and I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible. I covered practically every day of that trial and it was woof. But anyway, uh, so the way it worked up until 2018 when Dwyer won his victory here. Phone providers retained the data for two years, okay? And the Guardi could go, there is a, 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 a Garda organisation called Security Intelligence, used to be called Crime and Security. And the chief superintendent there had the legal authority to contact Meteor, Vodafone, Air, whatever, and say, under th this act, I require the phone data for this phone, for this mobile phone, okay? So they would say, so it would be like, this phone is attributed to Michael O'Toole. I want the data for that. But here's the, the, the real clincher. We know, I have some of them here, we know that there were loads of texts mm. read out during the trial. For example, Dwyer spoke, texted about his urge to rape and kill. Okay. That data is not retained. That is not the retained data. All the retained data is that at 10 p.m. on the 9th of January, 2024, Paul Healy texted a number attributed to Mikotul or he rang a, a number attributed to Mikotul and they had a 10 minute conversation. You don't hear what is in the conversation and you don't see the content of the text. That's not kept. It's only that you and I were in contact with each other and also things like cell site analysis that you were in Talbot Street. Uh, you were near Talbot, you were in a, your phone bounced off a mast close to Talbot Street and that puts you in this thing and the, and the guards can triangulate. And one of the things that the guards did in this is they used Dwyer's work phone, which is his phone, as a sort of map and you could and it mapped him sagging on along the M15 coming from the west on, on the day of the, the murder and that sort of stuff. So it was important information, but I actually agree. I thought it was Mr Justice Birmingham read out the appeal last year. Uh, I thought it was very reasonable. I thought it was very right. I thought that the bulk of the evidence, and I, having sat through it, the bulk of the evidence came from the, the texts that had been recovered. And as I said, they weren't, they're, they're not kept. They were recovered from the, if you people will remember, the master and slave phones that had been used for this secret relationship between Dwyer and Elaine O'Hara. And after the murder, Dwyer 
threw them in Vartu Reservoir. And by pure coincidence, a couple of days after uh, Miss O'Hara's body was found in Killicky Mountains, Killicky Wood, mm. in September 2013, they were found in Vartu Reservoir uh, by Garda James O'Donoghue, a fantastic bit of policing, and he, he got real plaudits for that. But it was those phones that were recovered because they were able to physically recover them and physically recover the texts that were downloaded from the phones and they provided for me the real smoking gun. Guards had to build up a picture to prove that Dwyer controlled one of those phones, Elaine controlled the other. And I they obviously did it, you know, because obviously he was found guilty, but there's a lot of evidence in those texts, mm. in my mind, that uh, pointed to really the inescapable conclusion that Dwyer controlled that phone. This, the master phone, it was called. Mm. And, and you know, effectively, that is what Mr. Justice Birmingham did say. I mean, the well, the, the evidence in relation to that particular data that we're speaking about was minuscule compared to all of the other evidence that you're mentioning uh, against Mr. Dwyer. I just want to read out. The, he, yeah, he described it as limited call data evidence. It was not very mm. significant at all. Um, and it was properly admitted into evidence. Now, the Supreme Court heard yesterday from Dwyer's side that, look, effectively it was admitted into evidence It ha- and you can't just ignore European law. They're saying European law is what it is. It, the ruling was what it was in that it shouldn't have been uh, retained. And so they're saying, effectively, it shouldn't have been admitted into evidence and ignore the rest of the fact of all of the evidence against Graham Dwyer. Nonetheless, evidence was admitted that really they're saying shouldn't have been and as a result he did not get a fair trial there are now seven judges of the highest court in the land uh, that have I, I suppose an indefinite period of time to weigh up that uh, uh, mm-hmm. decision and see whether they agree with Dwyer's side or whether this really is the end of the road from yes and you and I aren't experts in this Paul but it's our job to speak to people who are experts so there is someone who I've been in just uh, let's call them a criminal mind okay mm-hmm. so obviously he's a very good criminal barrister who keeps me right and that person said Dwyer doesn't have a chance now they said it about the appeal so they were vindicated with the appeal to the court of appeal they've said it about this now significantly they also said they believe effectively this is the end of the road for Dwyer if he loses we did speak that they can go to the European Court of Human Rights and whatever, but you were telling me off air that Dwyer would have to fund that himself. Yeah, well, certainly that's what stopped Joe O'Reilly in his tracks. And mm. I remember doing a story about that at the time that, I mean, Joe O'Reilly, who, who murdered his wife in all 2006, um, 2004, sorry, uh, he, he did a similar process, went through every court in the land and lost everywhere he he could and then for years we kept hearing that he was going to mount a case to the European courts uh, ultimately I think he had to foot the bill himself or wanted to foot the bill himself mm. or at least that's what he told relatives and he dropped the whole thing you could argue maybe he realised he didn't have a case I think the same might be true probably with Graham Dwyer if he loses this um, is he going to take the effort all the way to Europe now the only difference here is the arrogance of Graham Dwyer is extraordinary and he also mm. does have um Am I right in saying a considerable amount of wealth? So he might throw as much as he can into it. Yeah, I think he was earning, if I'm right, before the murder, he was earning about 70 grand a year. But he lived in Fox Rock in South Dublin Mm. and he had a a good big detached house. Now, Mm. there are other people involved in that house. I'm not going to go into this. 
So I don't know. The house has been sold. I don't know about the mortgage and I don't know how other people in that house, how much they would have got. Mm. We don't know, mm. right? But, you know, going to court is prohibitively expensive. So look, all I can tell you is this person has told me they believe this will be the end of the road for Dwyer and they also believe that he's going to lose. Yeah, and I, 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 I suspect they're probably correct. I mean, as I say, that person's an expert, so they know better than you or mm. I. Um, but, but with the decision from the Court of Appeal, and that was really the only time when anyone was kind of scratching their heads and saying, has he got a chance here? Because of that bombshell ruling from the European Court, there was sort of, I suppose, an expectation in the back of people's mind that maybe he does have a case, if at least for a retrial mm. here. But I think the second that Mr. Justice Birmingham threw the case out, and particularly with those damning words that really what Dwyer is arguing about is is is, is nothing really, a, a whole nothing compared to the evidence against him overall. I think that was it. So the Supreme Court, look, I think they will ratify that decision by the Court of Appeal. Anything else would be extraordinary um, and unprecedented. Mm-hmm. You, you've actually you raised something there, Paul, because I think they did want a retrial. Mm-hmm. Let's play devil's advocate and let's say the Supreme Court does order a retrial, excluding the data records, okay, about Graham Dwyer's work phone. But there's plenty of evidence, as we've said, plenty of evidence in my mind on the master and slave phone. Like, for example, I mean, this is how they identified him. He talked about taking part in flan competitions. He talked, the texter, who the the state alleged was Dwyer, talked about taking part in a flan competition and getting a 15% pay cut. Guards were able to prove both those things happened to Dwyer at the same time. He talked about becoming a father and he named uh, the the baby and that was the same name as Dwyer's uh, newborn baby. There were, there were loads of things, you know, say for example, even about at one stage he texted Elaine and said, I want to get you a tattoo done. And they were able to go and check that later on that day, Dwyer went and in, and inquired about getting a tattoo done. So there, there were dozens of texts that the guards knitted together to, in my mind, give the inescapable conclusion that that was, uh, it was Dwyer who controlled that and was therefore responsible for the murder. Even, you know, other things, physical evidence, uh, you know, that they had CCTV of Dwyer going to Elaine's apartment in uh, Stepside. And there were, there were lots, you know, there were awful lots of, th- of things like that. So, you know, I, I thought the judge was right. The, te- the, the text, the, 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 for me, the text messages and the life that was unmasked in those text messages was far more convincing than mobile phone data, although the mobile phone data, you know, it was significant. And also- but I wanted to ask you this, Paul, sorry. If there is, they just say plain devil's advocate, the judges in the Supreme Court do order a retrial, excluding the, the phone data, but keeping the text data and all the other data. Do you think Graham Dwyer would be able to get a fair trial? I, I mean, I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think judges are not, um, and juries are, are not meant to be swayed by what's said in the media. And, and I mean, we, we know this from previous cases that we've covered. I mean, it was said about Jerry Hutchkin, how can he have a fair trial? He did have a fair trial. Um, yeah, I think he can have a perfectly fair trial i know we've written everything about him under the sun uh, and maybe that's going to be a legal argument that he would make if if he did have an extraordinary uh, retrial he might say that he could never have a fair trial and that will be how he'll ultimately try to walk away from it all 
Paul, I would be amazed. And this is 14 steps down the road because you and I are of a mind that he's not going to win the Supreme Court no. thing in Cheney. But I would be amazed knowing the calibre of people like Remy Farrell, uh, who's a senior counsel, who's the lead senior counsel in this. If they didn't say, look, look at the publicity that Mr. Dwyer has had. How can he possibly get a jury of 12 people fair and, and true and all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd be amazed if they didn't try that. Just one other point. A couple of names when you were reading the, the copy from the Supreme Court, from, R from RT or whatever, the uh, Irish International, I'm sure a couple of names jumped out at, at you. Remy Farrell was the senior counsel for Mr. Dwyer, but Michael Bowman was also a senior counsel for him. Yes, and Michael Bowman most recently represented Joseph Puska. Um, and 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 who who was the prosecuting? There were two prosecuting senior counsel in the case. One was Sean Gearan and Anne Marie right? Lawler. And Anne Marie Lawler. Yeah, also, isn't that wonderful? Just how you. Well, it shows you just. I mean, the 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 the, the breadth of cases that they deal with, and as we mentioned before in mm -hmm. previous pods, they also swap roles. I mean, Michael Bowman has prosecuted, mm -hmm. and and you know, mm -hmm. and now he's defending. It's an extraordinary job, I, I, and I kudos to them for doing it. I mean, they have to be impartial. They have to work for their client. I, I don't know how they do it. For, yeah, the greatest example is Brendan Grehan, yes, who defended Jerry Hutch, mm -hmm. if I recall. He has, you know, I've covered most of the cases. I would say the majority of the cases I've covered with him would have been act, him acting as a, a state prosecutor. And I, I, I've said this before. I think it's really remarkable. But it's, it's, it's just so. Uh, just to recap. Uh, Elena O'Hara went missing in, in the 22nd of August 2012. I, I, the belief is she was murdered that day. He, he brought her up to Kiliki and murdered her there and left her there. Uh, and that's when that infamous in, text message was, go to the shore yeah, and wait. Yeah. And then he dumped the stuff in, in Vartry, which was his downfall. September 2013, on his birthday, Elaine's remains were recovered and then Gardy started their investigation. But the trial, as you say, it was January, I think, started in January 2015. Mm. Anne-Marie Lawler was involved in that, but Sean Gearan was the prosecutor. Anne-Marie Lawler was the, what they call it, a junior. So a BL at that stage, she was one of two. But she has now become one of the top senior criminal prosecutors in the country. But it's, it's and I've always been, that's the first time I really came across and I've really been in, intrigued to follow her progress and it's great to see someone progressing so she's now a senior and she and she was remarkable in the uh, Puska trial she really was they're fantastic barristers and as I said it's, it's been really you know Henri Lawler she was the junior there and she's, she became a senior shortly after that mm. and Puska was I, I remember you weren't I know you, you did most of it I was there for the opening and it was Miss Lawler who did the opening and I, I just she let everything there. This is the, what the jury is going to hear. And I remember going, he's banjaxed. Because mm. we, did, we didn't know this stuff. And, you know, and speaking about appeals and the arrogance of these killers, despite the fact that Joseph Puska was so obviously guilty and that incredible opening by Anne-Marie Lawler, it was all obvious from day one. He's now appealing his case. So that's another person, another family that had to go through an appeal process, sadly. But, 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 but tell me this, Paul, because you mentioned Joe O'Reilly. I remember I was being with... Uh, my buddy Shane Phelan, who's the legal affairs car for the Indo, but he was he used to work in the Star, and then he went to the Mail. So we were covering the Joe Reddy trial in two thousand and seven together. He, I was doing it for the Star, he was doing it for the Mail. Have you had moments in trials where you go, "That's it, he's gone"? For me, 
in the Puska one, it was Anne-Marie Lawler's opening. I can tell you exactly when it was in the Joe O'Reilly case. There'd been legal argument, unsurprisingly, about phone data, because phone data did for Joe O'Reilly. And it was all laid out. So there was legal argument out, out with the jury, and it was all laid out. Um, it was the first time we'd seen, oh, there's the mast. Ah, oh, he did it. He's, ba- he's goosed, right? And the judge, after legal argument, said, I'm letting the evidence in. And I remember I turned around to Sheehan and we just said, that's it. He's done. So you, there are moments in trials where you go, it's it's almost like a big flash of light. Well, if, I mean, for the Puska, you know, there, there was a lot of legal argument for the Puska trial mm-hmm. about what should and shouldn't be admitted. And obviously DNA being the big mm-hmm. one. I mean, the second that that was admitted in, I went, well, yeah, okay, well, that's, yeah. I mean, DNA, game over, you know. Um, for Graham Dwyer, what was it for you? Yeah, that's a very good point. When they, there was again legal argument about the, the mobile phone data. So once they knew that was let in, you sort of, and I think I probably had it in my mind about how important the mobile phone data had been in, in O'Reilly, that I thought, all right, that's it. For me, two things. Um, there were videos played of him involved in BDSM. And they were horrific. Uh, and then there were letters fantasies he had written really bad fiction I can say this as a, a fiction writer now his fiction is shit right it's about him about somebody uh, abducting a, a lady um, <laughs> from a, a, a bookstore in Newcastle upon Tyne in England right and it was just masochistic shit right but I remember re- that being read out and I went oh this mm-hmm. and there was also a, a lady Darcy do you remember Darcy Day who'd been involved she you know basically she was she had mental health yes, issues and yeah. there's stuff about him killing her voluntarily or whatever you want to call it. So there, there wasn't, in the O'Reilly thing, the one big thing was the the, vo- the the mobile phone stuff. But with Dwyer, there were so many strands to it. There were, I'd say there were six or seven things that I went, he is ghost. But he, but even still, even still, if you recall, I can certainly remember being in a newsroom at the time, Graham Dwyer, um, I was actually in the Irish Independent at the time and I, 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 there was a feeling that this this could go the other way. Uh, it it wasn't clear to people who weren't in the courtroom anyway. Mm. Uh, there there was there was a feeling that it wasn't an open and shut case. Now, when you sat there and you saw all the evidence together in tandem, it made sense. But people looking from the outside in, I remember at the time there was sort of a feeling that he could be found not guilty. What well, you you raise a very valid point, and obviously. I knew things that the jury, we were investigating things, I knew things and I'd known about Graham Dwyer mm-hmm. since he was arrested and charged. And I've been doing, I mean, just as an aside, you know, so once he's charged, the shutters come down, right? And it was very frustrating for me because I had a great line. I knew shortly after he was charged that he was he was mounting his legal challenge to the mobile phone data. Because we checked the, fo- the high court records. Straight away. And it was there. And we knew it because he did it very, I think within a week. We just mm. couldn't print it. I was sitting there and I was so frustrated. So so I couldn't divorce myself from all the, the stuff that I knew about Dwyer beforehand. But I but I remember one concern is you never know how a jury can go. Mm. So there could have been t- two people on that jury who said, no, 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 there's nothing there. Now they came back unanimously. So that was, it's not a concern for me, but it was, I'm saying that would have been a concern for the, the prosecution and the guards because they just nobody knows how the jury nobody knows the deliberations of the jury nobody just nobody knows because you're not allowed to know so that's a concern but for me looking at it he's toast but juries are juries so that was you know that could have been different he obviously thinks he's so smart doesn't he I mean one thing we do know about Graham Dwyer 
um, is that he, you know, he's he's continuing to argue to this day uh, that nobody murdered Elaine O'Hara, and I I believe those are words that have come out of his own mouth. Yeah, that he says to people, no one killed her. I mean, that's yeah. the arrogance of the man because he's trying to say, look, they found her body. They believed initially that it was a um, that she may have taken her own life. She was a troubled woman. Uh, and that's what he's trying to tell people that no one murdered her, and and, and he, that's the arrogance of the man. He, yeah, and uh, maybe a bit of delusion as well. You know, he would, we we know that look, he's in he's he's still down in in the Midlands, isn't the Midlands. he? Midlands, yeah, yeah. So you know, he is certainly, to my mind, extremely deluded. She didn't kill herself. I was only helping her. All that sort of stuff, you know. And I wasn't having an affair. I wasn't having a relationship or whatever. So. It's, it's, I can't believe it's nine years since this trial started. It's uh, uh, 12 years, almost 12 years since he murdered her. A long, long time because, look, I know that the Hodge trial was massive, but see at the time, see the Dwyer trial, it convulsed the nation. I mean, it really, really convulsed the nation. It was the first trial, we we were the first people to live tweet it. Uh, I was Judge Tony Hunt and I, I think he that was the beginning of was, the live tweets. <laughs> that that was the beginning of the live tweets. It was, yeah. yeah. And uh, like, I think I I think I put on about ten thousand followers because of it. Because mm. people were just no, that's I'm not shooting me on. I'm just because people were so obsessed. People with were it. fascinated. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it, it, the whole country was gripped by, it. especially, ah, you know, just because he was the, you know. He was, he was the. How can you say this? The nice middle class snobby architect, and it was. He thought it was the perfect. All that sort of stuff, and the the details of the trial, the the BDSA, all that stuff. It was. Mm. It was grim. It really was grim, you know. So, anyway, look. Uh, I don't think my criminal minds person is of the opinion that he's going to lose this, and this will be the end of the road. So, let's see if they're vindicated. They've always been right. Yeah, it could be a very quick decision. Maybe before we even get yeah. this pod out, we might know. Although I'd say it'll take they'll take their time with it, a number of months. But uh, no doubt we'll be speaking about his latest loss, I'd say, relatively soon. And I'll just say, the last thing I'll say in this, if he loses, you know, so he's been in prison since uh, 2013, October 2013, really. Um, so, you know, that's, that's more than a decade he will have at least another decade behind bars. So does that mean, am I right in saying that he's coming up on his, his uh, has he been able to um, to uh, go to before a parole board yet? Oh, he's tried, yeah. I mean, we, we did a story about that cause, because you're thinking because it's 12 years, but when he was eligible for it, it was seven oh, the years because the, the, the 12 years is only brought in recently mm-hmm. and he's been in the system. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it, it, it's a no, basically. So but, he's, um, he's due, he is actually due his second uh, attempt at parole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you think about it, right, so September 2013, the body was found. It was October 2013, the, the arrest came, because it was about a month, roughly, right? And he was put in custody. And one of the very few people to stay in custody on remand for murder. And that was because of the bail hearing when all the stuff came out. Which is again what you what you, we knew we just couldn't report it to Section Two A, so we were just there was a blanket ban on it, so that was it. So, um, so that's he's been in prison eleven years, almost eleven years. But he'll do. I think he'll do at least another eleven. I have to say, I think you know, he's regarded as so dangerous that they won't let him out. 
Well, he's one. He's one of the country's most notorious Where killers. Yeah, I don't see him getting out anytime soon. The, the the infamy alone, but also you have to admit your crime. You have to show remorse, and he's certainly not doing that. So yeah, yeah. All right. So let's let's as we keep on saying, it's now up to the judges. <laughs> it is. I'll get the cup in again. There you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening to us. We'll see you again. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>